Welcome back once again to our podcast, Regulation Matters, a clear conversation. I'm your host, Lyon Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rick and Benny Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina, and I'm also CLEAR's President-Elect. As many of you are aware, the Council on Licensure Enforcement and Regulation, or CLEAR, it's an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. This podcast is an opportunity for you to hear about important topics in our regulatory community. Our guest today is Adam Biersing. Uh, he is a policy analyst for the Center of Innovation with the Council of State Governments. So we're very glad to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, we are certainly happy to speak to you. And also, let me thank our listeners for joining us today. So on today's podcast, we're talking with the CSG about their 2021 survey of universal license recognition laws. So before we dive completely into that, could Adam, could you give us kind of a quick introduction to, to the CSG and the Center of Innovation? Sure. Yeah, the, the Council of State Governments was founded in 1933. We're a nonprofit membership organization, the only organization of our type serving all three branches of state government. Uh, we focus on nonpartisan research, research-based and region-based forums that foster exchanges of data, insights, and ideas to help state officials shape public policy. Um, we focus a lot on policy research, convenings of stakeholders, and leadership development for policy leaders across the country and across all branches of state government, um, and focus very closely on that nonpartisan aspect to provide data-driven solutions and um, research to policymakers. The Center of Innovation within CSG is uh, located in our headquarters in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and it's the, the policy shop of CSG where we focus a lot on ad hoc research requests from policymakers and executive uh, committee members in state government, as well as working on a, a suite of policy portfolios, including workforce development, interstate compacts, uh, disability inclusion, and um, election law. So that is the Center of Innovation and the Work that we did on universal licensure was part of our occupational licensing grant uh, from the Department of Labor. Oh, that's excellent, Adam. Thank you for that background. So now the, the survey that the CSG conducted is about universal license recognition, or um, I guess the term is ULR um, and their laws. So to start off, can you maybe give a definition of the ULR, the universal license recognition, and then what do you mean when you talk about ULR laws and how does that differ from maybe other examples of license portability? Sure. So reciprocity or licensing by endorsement state to state is not a, a new trend. But what we saw starting to, to come to a lot of states around 2018 was these universal license recognition laws or ULR that um, create systems of license reciprocity or licensure by endorsement for all professions licensed in the state in one fell swoop through one piece of legislation. So this allows boards to, or, or mandates boards to create paths of endorsement from every state, any licensed practitioner in those states moving into a state with the ULR policy, allowing a, a licensee to gain a license in that state as long as they hold a license um, usually with some level of, of substantial equivalence and requirements from another state that licenses that profession. Um, this looks pretty different than previous reciprocity agreements as those were 
mostly handled by boards of one profession and only covered one profession, or they could be um, population specific. So we've seen reciprocity laws that are exclusive to military spouses, um, recent immigrants, those happen occasionally as well. So ULR laws um, are, are mostly different in their breadth of, of what occupations are covered, what licenses are covered, and um, what states those licenses will be accepted from. We, we saw previously lots of uh, two-state reciprocity agreements, specifically between border states where licensees in each state could practice in the other or gain a license in the other, and ULR really expands that to, to the whole country. Also, they are notably different from interstate compacts, which are agreements negotiated between states that cover a single profession. Um, so those are, they allow for reciprocity or in some ways a, a, a more seamless endorsement process um, that is only allowed for members of the compact. Now, things like medicine, I can see how that might be very easy, but do you run into any problems when you're dealing with either licenses that um, maybe don't match up on skill level between two different um, states that describe that particular person as a, this particular entity or, or, or licensee? Um, and then also, like, what about, and I know in dentistry in, in North Carolina, you know, one of the, the chief requirements is like a live patient exam. And there's a lot of states that maybe don't have that. And obviously COVID um, kind of changed that mapping, if you would, for a lot of different um, states and licensing. Do you see those things as potential hurdles or how do you overcome those things? Definitely, yeah. We um, One of the major findings from the, the survey that we conducted on universal licensing um, is exactly what you mentioned, that the, the more standardized a profession is across the country, medicine is a great example where licensing of doctors is, is essentially more or less the same state to state, um, similar with, with nurses and, and lots of healthcare professions have very similar licensing requirements. Um, but we do, we do see that, that there have been issues with implementing that, usually what they call it is a, a substantially equivalent licensing process or licensing set of requirements. Um, so in a lot of cases, that's up to board determination if other states have substantially similar licensing requirements. Um, and you're exactly right that that doctors and nurses and many healthcare professions have, have um, much more standardized licensing requirements state to state. In terms of overcoming it, a lot of that is up to board discretion. Um, the work of, of members of the board and staff of the boards to go state to state and discover if, if licensing requirements are, are substantially equivalent. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's not as simple as uh, changing a rule. Sometimes it's a general statute, something it's, it's, that's deep embedded that, that requires uh, an act of Congress, no pun intended, uh, to kind of open those things. Well, let me ask you this. Can you talk a little bit more about why CSG decided to conduct this survey? And ultimately, what did you, you, you know, hope to learn from it? Sure. Yeah. So we um, are are consistently tracking trends in occupational licensure. Um, it's a it's a mainstay of our work. And um, when we started seeing these ULR laws crop up a lot the last couple of years, um, we knew that we would be able to eventually gather data on licensee numbers that are using universal licensing. Um, and potentially, there might be data eventually around impacts of of that licensing. 
but we were really curious about implementation and what lessons could be learned from states that have gone through this implementation process and shared to states that are considering passing a ULR law or have recently passed a ULR law and what we can help their boards and board staffs um, learn from, from potential past mistakes or past hurdles that other boards had to go through to implement um, the universal license recognition. So kind of touching back to what the question I asked or, or kind of probed on um, just a moment ago. Um, so obviously there's going to be some variation uh, amongst the laws in these states. So, and especially in what you guys surveyed. So what are some of the requirements and provisions in the laws? Yeah, so a lot of these laws function, you know, pretty similarly in, in, in process but we definitely saw a couple of variations. One of the major ones that came up from respondents um, several times was residency requirements. So some of these ULR laws require that the practitioner that wishes to gain a license based on a previously held license in another state must already be a resident of the state that they're, that they're trying to gain the license in. Um, and we can talk a little bit about why that was a hurdle for some practitioner and some boards. Um, but that was a variation that we saw state to state. Another is that substantially equivalent piece. Um, those function somewhat differently state to state and even board to board within the state. Most of that is, is due to interpretation, but we have seen some examples where a state doesn't have a, a, an explicit substantial requ equivalency requirement in their ULR law. Another notable difference is um, whether or not they explicitly exempt compacts or uh, professions where the state is a member of the compact from the ULR law. This can mostly just, it, it creates confusion for practitioners that might be in a, in a profession where um, they, that profession has a compact and the state that they're moving to is a member of the compact which pathway to go down can, can create some confusion. So we've seen some states just exempt compact professions uh, or future compact professions from the ULR law, um, and some states have not. So we'll, we'll see probably in the next couple of years what that impact will be state to state. Um, and then one notable difference in, in, I think only one case in Missouri's ULR law is that they used ULR as um, a pathway for an omnibus bill of several other licensing reforms. Um, so we saw them implement some what we call fair chance licensing as a as a, a portion of their ULR bill. So um, creating ULR through uh, an omnibus bill of licensing reforms. It's interesting you mentioned the, the residency thing, you know, I've certainly seen it across before when we looked at other states of, um, you know, maybe establishing practice, maybe not necessarily residency as far as moving there. And that can certainly be challenging for these, you know, bordering towns that are, you know, just across the state line from, from another neighboring community that maybe needs access to care that they just don't actually have because it's a remote area. Um, and I think, you know, anytime we can remove those barriers to improve access to care is, is always a good thing. Well, let's dig into the survey a bit now. So, you know, from, from what I understand, you know, the survey included mostly open-ended questions um, asking about experiencing with implementing UR policy, you know, the challenges and benefits of those things as well. I think this kind of information is really beneficial to clears listeners because, you know, we're getting the perspective of the people who are doing the regulatory work and directly dealing with these policies and their impact. So, 
what are those experiences, challenges, and benefits that respondents specifically identified? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I want to start off by saying that a majority of our respondents um, either had a, a a strong or a, or at the very least a neutral response to the ULR policy being a benefit to their state's workforce. Several states noted that it made li the licensing process more efficient, um, or that average license licensing times have decreased since the passage of the ULR law. On the other hand, we had we had many respondents say that they that they just didn't see it as that useful yet. Um, that potentially there's there's some lag time in in how much usefulness we can get from the ULR law uh, until it's it's being widely used by practitioners. Um, in terms of challenges, uh, we've seen, you know, again, some people say that it's simply too early to tell. Some of the states that we surveyed had had very recently passed the ULR law and were still working on implementation or had just recently finished implementation. Um, but that there were several, um, I suppose, procedural or technological challenges to the implementation. Um, we saw mentions of rules being needing to be repromulgated after the passage of ULR, um, new licensing systems to be created uh, or online capacity to be expanded based on out-of-state traffic that they hadn't previously seen. Uh, and then in terms of that substantially similar piece that we, that we discussed earlier, there were several concerns about determining substantial equivalency, how forthcoming states were with um, what their requirements were and how equivalent those requirements could be to the state passing a ULR law. Um, and we also saw uh, several examples of um, existing reciprocity agreements creating confusion between the ULR law, how those existing reciprocity agreements will function between the two. Um, but there were also several benefits that people saw um, we saw that you know people believe that this can that this can help facilitate uh, fixing workforce shortages and workforce gaps, especially in healthcare professions. Uh, we saw we asked specifically if if during the pandemic if the ULR if the ULR law had been beneficial with filling healthcare shortages. Uh, and while we didn't get a, a strong reaction to that, we did have some practitioners or or licensees say that the policy enabled more practitioners to provide healthcare services during the pandemic. But um, I'll briefly plug another CSG publication that, that we worked on last year. Um, we uh, did a lot of work around temporary actions by, uh, especially by governors during the pandemic. So most respondents to the survey said that those were much more effective at, at filling healthcare gaps during the pandemic. But with ULR passing in, in many states, we could see you know, in the event of, of future emergencies where we have the need for increased healthcare capacity, um, ULR laws could potentially uh, be a benefit there. Um, we also saw several people say that they've, they've seen um, this policy be effective at helping specific populations, notably military spouses and veterans that are moving state to state at a much higher frequency uh, than other, other practitioners. Excellent. Well, um, I guess from, for other states that may be considering, you know, this pathway, ULR laws, um, what can these survey results tell them? 
you know, kind of ultimately what's the takeaway from this? Sure. Um, first, I, I, I'll preface this all with saying that CSG doesn't advocate for specific policies, but we did we did pull some lessons learned that we think could be helpful for states that are um, potentially considering a ULR law, which we know that many states are right now. Um, but we did see that licensing bodies that were able to easily interpret substantial uh, similar requirements had completed this work before the ULR law had been in place, whether it was for other reciprocity agreements or if there was um, some sort of mandate that mandated boards to um, do this research in advance. So those states were much more quickly able to implement and uh, just know that the substantial equivalency um, from each state. We also saw that stakeholder engagement from licensing bodies can help legislatures with crafting ULR laws that support boards and, and give them clear guidance in, in implementing the policy, uh, especially when it comes to the substantially equivalent requirements. Many respondents also mentioned the challenge of making a new application for out-of-state residents utilizing the ULR policy. We've done lots of work in the, in the OL project on digital licensing, and um, it seemed like states with, with robust digital licensing systems and IT systems we're better able to implement the, the procedural portion of the ULR policy. So that's a potential lesson learned. Uh, building those systems in advance of passing a law um, could be a, a benefit there. And then lastly, uh, to bring it back to the, the conflict with, with other uh, reciprocity agreements, making sure that it's clear in the policy what those policies are and how, um, how the ULR doctrine will, will interact with other reciprocity agreements or interstate compacts. Well, great. I think this has been a, a fantastic conversation. So again, thank you, Adam, for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for, for having me. And um, the ULR report is published at licensing.csg.org. Um, so there's, there's a lot more detail in there uh, if, if anyone's interested in, in digging in. Fantastic. Well, it has certainly been our pleasure to, to speak with you today. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in for this episode. So as you mentioned, the full report of the CSG's uh, 2021 Survey of Universal License Recognition Laws can be found on the CSG website. And again, that's licensing.csg.org backslash publications. CLEAR has also included a link to the survey report in our regulatory news blog. We invite you to also continue this conversation throughout the CLEAR discussion forum. So this podcast episode will be posted in the CLEAR communities, and members can reply to the, your, to the post with your comments or reactions. Both CLEAR and the, the Federation of Associations of Regulatory Boards, or FARB, um, provided a statement on ULR laws for the survey report. So we invite you to read those and offer your own comments. We'd love to continue this discussion in CLEAR communities. And we'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. If you're new to this clear podcast, please subscribe to us. You can find us on Podbean or any of your favorite podcast services. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Those reviews help us improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free also to visit our website, which is www.clearhq.org for additional resources as well as a calendar of upcoming online programs and events. 
Finally, I'd like to thank our clear staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. She is our content coordinator and editor for this program. Once again, I'm Lyon Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.